Let's just let's just pray before they leave. Let's just um, pray for them as they go. Lord, we thank you for the children in our church family. May you bless them as they grow in their love for you. Help them in their activities this morning and help them to have the confidence to ask questions and the passion to learn about the world in which you created. Amen. Definitely learned something there, haven't we? Okay, grab a Bible or a Bible app on your phone. Um, and I think, Hannah, you're reading now, aren't you? I'll keep on top of this. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is what we're reading, and then John's going to bring us the passage and understand it a bit more. So the Bible reading, as Tom said, is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, do keep that page of the Bible open. Um, I'll be staying there for most of our time, but we will be looking at other parts of the Bible as we go. It's so encouraging to be here, isn't it? Um, it's been great to meet in our home, and we love meeting in our homes. Uh, but I think it's fantastic that we're in a venue where it's easier to invite other people um, to come in. And uh, you might be looking around thinking, oh, there's lots of space. Wouldn't it be great if this is in a few months or years' time full of people? That's our hope. Uh, that's our prayer. And that's going to be the case if we're unashamed of the gospel, if we're unashamed of the gospel. So let's just pray, shall we, that God would help us, that God would speak to our hearts and help us uh, not to be ashamed like Paul was not ashamed. Father, we thank you and praise you so much for your word. Thank you that you promised to speak to each of us this morning. Lord Jesus, please would you speak to us in your mercy and grace would you overcome our sinfulness, overcome our unbelief? By the power of your Holy Spirit, please help me to say things that are helpful. But most of all, would we hear your voice from heaven? Amen. Well, as Tom was saying, we continue to be in a period of mourning for the Queen, whatever our views on the monarchy. Maybe we've been surprised at our feelings or the feelings of others. And as Christians um, here this morning, we know that more is going on than just mourning for our queen. Every human being is made for the king of kings. There's something deep inside each and every human being that longs for a just and righteous ruler. As we continue in our series in Romans, we, we've heard, haven't we, how... Paul is about the good news of God. It's not just his made-up good news, it's God's good news, and this good news was about a king, God's son, the Christ. Christ just means anointed king. He, he was a man, descended from the line of kings, descended from King David, we saw in verse 3. He was declared 
with God's power to be his son by his resurrection from the dead, a bodily resurrection seen by witnesses, not a sort of spiritual resurrection. Now, this was seen. And Paul saw the, re the resurrected Christ, didn't he, on the road to Damascus. The, the one who'd been persecuting the church was now planning to visit the Roman church, preaching the gospel he once tried to snuff out so that more and more people can become Christians. Now, Paul says at the beginning of his letter, after he said, well, this is the sort of summary of the gospel, 1 to 7, and then 8 to 15, you know, he explains why he wants to visit the church in Rome. He comes with these words. Why is he planning to go to Rome to, to preach the gospel to them? Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, we might think it's it's so tough to be a Christian today, John. You know, you know, I go to work or I go to the school gate or even my family. I'm I just I'm tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. It's easy to be ashamed of the gospel in our culture, isn't it? When people hear of the good news that we have come to believe, they're so indoctrinated by atheism that they think that they're weird, stupid, idiots. Well, it was far worse in Rome. If you were a Christian in Rome, you were worshipping an illegal religion. You were suspected of being cannibals because people had heard, well, they eat the body and blood of this human being, Jesus. And if you were told to offer sacrifices to the emperor, which Roman citizens were required to do, if you refused, you would be executed in the most barbaric way. Thousands of Christians had already been executed in Turkey under Roman rule, or modern-day Turkey. And Paul is saying that he's going to Rome, that the center of this rule, this emperor cult, he wanted to come to Rome of all places to preach the gospel, despite the threat of execution, unashamedly. And eventually he was executed. So Paul had something. He understood something about the gospel and that meant he was so unashamed that he would face death and stoning and beatings and trials. And he'd plan even to go to Rome, the place where all this originated. Why? Well, he was not ashamed of the gospel. And that's all we're going to learn this morning. Do not be ashamed of God's gospel. Do not be ashamed. If we're unashamed before God, we will be unashamed before everyone else. If we're unashamed before God, we'll be unashamed before everyone else. See, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but he then gives a reason. So that we'd really want to know what this reason is, wouldn't we? Why? Well, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul wants the Roman church to understand he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power for everyone. It's God's power to save. It's a bit, bit like being ashamed of an ambulance. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry about the, the, the noise and the lights and oh, that you've got to get out of the way. Well, no, it's power to save lives. The gospel is God's power 
to save people. And all people have to do is believe and trust in this message. And they're saved from death and hell. One of my favourite programmes, uh, Mim will tell you, is uh, Mortimer and White House Go Fishing. I don't know if you know it. Uh, obviously, there's fishing in it. There's lots of humour. Um, Bob just keeps falling over, which is always hilarious. I don't know how he manages to do it in such a way as that it doesn't look like he's trying to do it. But clearly, you know, he is always falling over. That they've got various health issues. And they talk quite a bit about illness and death. And one of the things they have said on, on several occasions is, you know, I mean, who wants to live forever? And they then burst into the song by Queen. You know, it's, it's, it's got to be ridiculous to think of eternal life. An interlife helps you enjoy what you have left to the full, doesn't it? Well, not if there's a judgment to come. Yeah, if you, when you die, that's it. Then, of course, you want to make the most of the life you've got. I mean, why would you, uh, like the Queen, for example, live to serve others until two days before your death? Now, you'd at least have a retirement to enjoy. It's easy for us to imbibe that sort of view, isn't it? it that view that inspires selfishness and self-indulgence. But if there is no judgment to come... I mean, it's not true that when we die we rot, but it's also not true that when we die it's just eternal life. It could be judgment of hell for, for many, many people. And this is, as we'll see, where Paul begins. You see, if there's no judgment, what happens to the evils that are being done in Ukraine, to the women and children whose lives have been cut short? They haven't got much life to enjoy. What if there is a hell? What if we need saving from something more than death? See, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. People need saving from something. He's going to outline what that is. It, salvation, rescue, not just from death, but from judgment and from hell. And it's for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. Now, what does Paul mean? by for the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's shorthand to say everyone. It, it's like uh, somebody saying Turk and Greek in Cyprus means everyone, or loyalist and nationalist in Northern Ireland it means everyone. Jew and Greek, the two religious options of the ancient world, everyone. And for the Jews first, not to say that the Jews are preferred. No, he's saying historically. He'll outline this later on in the, in the letter. God chose the Israelite nation first to show them his grace and mercy, to be his people, to bless the whole world. So the Jew first historically and to the Greek. Now, it's worth just pausing, isn't it, and, and, and just thinking, do we believe the gospel is for absolutely everybody? Is it for you? Is it for members of your family? Is it for your colleagues at work? Is it for those at the school gate who may be very different to you? And do we believe what Paul believed, that the gospel that we have is God's power to save absolutely anybody? 
that there is a judgment to come. That's where we'll go next week. It's where Paul starts. But it's easy, isn't it, when we think about the, the reality of a judgment to come, the reality of heaven and hell, to just be overwhelmed. Do you not sometimes find that? When we think of those who do not believe, do you think, this is overwhelming, Lord. I, I can hardly take in what the majority of people are facing because they do not believe. Although Jesus was very clear about that. But it's interesting that this is not Paul's main motivating factor. He doesn't say at this point, go on, get out there and tell people the gospel because there is a judgment to come and there's a real heaven and hell. No. What's the reason he gives? Well, it's in verse 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or from faith into faith, literally. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, I'm sorry to go over basics again, but it can be very helpful just to go over basics, can't it? Because we shift away from basics. I don't know if you like me. I shift away from basics. What are the basics? What does the word righteousness mean? It means moral goodness. And so what Paul is saying is, for in it, the moral goodness, the righteousness of God is revealed. And you say, well, how is this good news? To be told that God is perfectly good is not good news, is it? Because we're not good. He's saying that the distance between us and God is, is infinite. God is pure and holy. He never sins. He's never tempted by sin. He never thinks of evil. He can't look on evil. So how is it good to be told that God is perfectly righteous and that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God? For faith, or from faith into faith, from faith to faith. Well, he's just flagging up a sort of banner, a, a sort of title to the whole, I think, the whole book of Romans. Um, but let's just look at basics. Keep your finger there and flip with me forward to chapter 3, verse 21. Because he spends the first three chapters really outlining what he means, or four chapters, by the righteousness of God. Complicated by the fact by the word righteous and righteousness and justice is the same in the original. We, we don't have a verb, though, for being made righteous. Verse uh, 21, but now... This is what's happened in the gospel. The righteousness of God has been manifested, made clear, revealed, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made righteous, righteousness, if there is such a word, by his grace as a gift. What's Paul saying here? People like you and me, simply by trusting in Jesus Christ and what he's done, can be given as a gift the moral purity of God himself. We can be made righteous with God's righteousness as a gift for free. This is why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. 
because of the righteousness of God which is revealed. Uh, I don't know if you're into DIY. Uh, I do enjoy DIY. Anybody else here enjoy DIY? No, I don't know. Uh, up to a point, you know, I, I'm happy to put in a bathroom or a kitchen or very, very small walls, as you've seen in my garden. But a wall a little bit higher, I, I need help. I don't know if you've ever had the experience in your DIY um, escapades of, of getting to the point where you think, ah, this is beyond me. Um, plumbing. <laughs> Electrical works. Well, that's rightly beyond you. You need somebody else to come in. See, most people think that being right with God is a DIY project. And we kind of call somebody else in when, when we need somebody else. We call on God every now and again. Uh, some people think that they're good enough as they are. They will stand before God on Judgment Day, and having done their best, they'll hope for the best and they'll be fine. What Paul is saying here is that the DIY approach to being right with God never, ever works. We're, we're never going to be good enough for God by the law. The Christian message is that God has come down from heaven in the person of his son and he's done it all. It's a bit like we can call on a friend in even the most basic DIY shambles uh, and the friend turns up and says, no, you can't do this. Let, let me do it. I'll do it for free. Jesus comes down and pays the price for our sins and gives us God's righteousness for free. It's a gift. Freedom from hell for free. Freedom to live an eternal life for free. Joining God's family for free. Self-acceptance for free. It's a gift. That's what Paul means by the righteousness of God. So, you know, something that seems really quite religious is actually the best news in the world. The righteousness. Of, do you believe as a Christian that you have been given, because you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the moral perfection of God? Do you believe that? That's what it means to be a Christian. It is such wonderful news, is it not? But do you struggle with it? I do. I keep going back to the DIY method. I think, oh, well, God's cleaned me up. Now I'll try and do it myself. And how, how well does that work? How, 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 how good does that go? Now, I thought because we're looking at uh, 16 and 17, and this is the first time I've done this. I've preached through Romans um, a few times. Um, but we're going to go back to Habakkuk because what Paul says is he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Well, what does that mean? Well, then he tries to explain it to his hearers by quoting from Habakkuk. As it is written, Old Testament, the righteous shall live by faith. So keep a finger in Romans 1. We'll be coming back to Romans 1. I'm going to go back to Habakkuk. And foolishly, I didn't think of what page number it would be. 785. 785, brilliant. So 785. It's always worth doing when the New Testament writers quote the Old Testament to go back and say, oh, how does this help understand 
what Paul is referencing, because it's not just a proof text. He's sort of saying to his Jewish readers particularly, go, think about what was happening to Habakkuk. What, what was going on in Habakkuk? So chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Or by his faithfulness can mean either. What's going on here? Well, Habakkuk lives about 700 years before Jesus. And uh, the nation has uh, been under God's judgment. So the Assyrians have come and taken the northern part of the kingdom away. And Habakkuk's in Judah in the, in the south. And it's all going pear-shaped. God's people are not living righteous lives and he, he's just really troubled with the evil in God's people. So 1 verse 2, how, how, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? He wants judgment. He, he wants justice. You know, God's people are murdering uh, the, the helpless. Um, Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Verse 4, so the Lord is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is struggling. He's living in a time when God's people are at a low ebb, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything. What's God's answer? Chapter 1, verse 6, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So God says, well, in answer to your uh, perplexity, Habakkuk, God's people uh, not being righteous, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to come and flatten the whole nation. And Habakkuk's thinking, well, so like that's an answer. How does that work? Verse 13, you're a purer eyes than to see evil, and you cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And then he likens the Babylonians to fishermen who catch up nations in their nets and sacrifice to their nets because they think it's their own strength that is bringing them and their judgment, their justice. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So what's the context of Habakkuk? God's coming judgment. How will we escape God's coming judgment? Well, it's this little verse. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. That's what the judgment of the Babylonians is like. That's what the pagan nations are like but the righteous shall live by his faith. It's this lifestyle that Habakkuk was called to, which would mean that he wouldn't face the judgment of God coming. Back to Romans. It's where Paul goes straight away, isn't it, in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness and unrighteousness of men. We've got to have this perspective if we're going to be unashamed of the gospel that the wrath of God is being revealed and the judgment day of God is coming. 
I mean, when we look out on the world, what do we see? There are good things, aren't there? Lots of good things, but rightly, the leading atheists of our day say, look at children suffering cancer. Look at the suffering of the 20th century, the 100 million who died in World War II despite it being caused by practical atheism. Look at tsunamis and earthquakes. Look at the world. It doesn't speak of an all-powerful and all-loving God, does it? They have a point, don't they? And the answer is, God isn't all-powerful and all-loving alone. He's all-powerful, all-loving, and he has set a day when he will judge the world by the man he has appointed. He is full of wrath, holy, good, righteous, justice, and people need to be ready. How are they ready? How are you and I ready? How are we righteous on that day? By faith, by trusting in God's way of making people right with him. Now, just as we close, I think one of the reasons, I've been thinking about this as I've been preparing, I think one of the reasons why we are unashamed uh, or tempted to be uh, ashamed and why we're not always unashamed of the gospel is because sometimes we are not clear in our day-to-day -day experience of this life of faith, this life in which we're only righteous because of what God gives us as a free gift. And what Paul is saying, I think, in Romans, is as we continue in the book of Romans, is we can grow in our experience and transformation of this life of faith. See, it's not just, well, I've trusted in Jesus Christ, so I'm going to be okay on Judgment Day. No. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It means an end to boasting in our lives, chapter 3. It means humble service, chapter 12. It means we can rejoice in God even in suffering. If you're suffering at the moment, are you rejoicing in God? Because that's the life of faith. That's what the righteousness of God does in us as we go through suffering. We, it brings joy in God, hope. Chapter 5. It means that we are set free from sin to serve a new master. Chapter 6. It means we need not suffer the tortures of conscience or being too idealistic about how good we can become because chapter 7, Paul can say, who will rescue me from this body of death because I keep doing the things I hate to do? It means that we don't live under the condemnation. Chapter 8. Of God, it means that we can have joy, that we are we know that we're forgiven. It means we have a genuine love for one another, chapter twelve. It means we can be useful in society, chapter thirteen. We can be part of a community that accepts and loves one another and doesn't start judging one another, chapters thirteen to fifteen. It means we have a sure hope of heaven, chapter fifteen, ch chapter sixteen. Paul does say others need to hear the gospel. They won't believe without hearing it, chapter 10. But how are we unashamed of the gospel? How are you and I unashamed of the gospel? It's by the gospel going deeper. This righteousness of God that Jesus has given us, becoming more deeply understood in our lives. So it's really just an advert to try and understand the book of Romans a bit better as we go through it. If we can understand how the righteousness of God impacts our lives, then a gospel life 
makes us unashamed before God, so we're unashamed before absolutely everyone else. Unashamed before God, he's given us his righteousness, so we're unashamed before absolutely everyone else, whatever it costs. So let's just pray that God will do that in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you so much for the good news of Jesus, that you in him have given us your perfect righteousness. Lord, we praise you and thank you for that gift, that faith that you've given us so that we're right with you, have a certain hope of heaven, can grow in our understanding and knowledge and enjoyment and joy of being unashamed before you because of Jesus. Lord, please, would you, by your Spirit, help us to understand this more deeply so that we might be unashamed before everyone else, as Paul was. Amen. Thank you, John. <clears throat> well, Paul was a sinful man. He was a sinner of the highest sort before he met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And he was still a sinner even when Christ commissioned him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But he recognized his sin and that he needed the grace of God to be forgiven. Romans chapter 7, John just mentioned, reads, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us say the words of the confession then together and acknowledge our sinfulness and know that by the grace of God we can be forgiven. So let us say together the words. Most merciful Father, our creator and judge, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed. We have not loved you with all our heart and we have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We earnestly repent and are truly sorry for all our sins. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us. Strengthen us to serve and obey you in lives wholly renewed by your Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Before God leads us in prayer, we're just going to say the words of the Apostles' Creed together. And the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe and trust. So if it isn't your faith um, this morning and you haven't put your trust in Christ, then please feel no pressure in saying these words. But instead, I encourage you to read through the words and perhaps a particular focus on the line, the forgiveness of sins. As Christians, we have absolute assurance that everyone is forgiven by repentance and by putting your faith in Jesus. So let's say these words together of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. From there he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Colin, lead us in prayer this morning.